to another Footnotes episode of Continuing Prefer a Book. Today, I'm talking about my years-long fascination with French culture, especially the French food culture. Stay with me. I promise this will come back around to books. So I have a degree in public health, and public health is really about the health of populations. Um, Some people would maybe compare the medical profession um, to public health by saying that the medical profession is looking at treating one patient at a time, really diving into their specific individual characteristics. And a public health perspective is treating millions of people at a time. You're looking at the health of a population at large. So some of the main tools that we use in public health, we're looking at risk factors or components that make someone more prone to disease or protect them from disease. And we're looking at these risk factors in a population sense. As I've done public health reading and literature searching and sort of understanding the world around me through that lens, one of the things that has interested me has been the quote-unquote French paradox. This is an idea that was, I think, originally pushed out in the 80s, and it's the idea that people in France have a longer lifespan um, than Americans and Brits, but are eating food that is sort of delicious and butter-filled and fat-filled, and it's... um, It's a Mediterranean diet, but it's also a lot of red wine and cheese and things like that. So this is the idea that why can't, um, so why don't French people have shorter lifespans um, than Americans, even though they're eating all this rich, delicious food? Um, I'm not going to go into the criticisms about the French paradox itself, just that the nature of epidemiology is usually to find correlations and finding causation is much rarer and takes a lot um, more work and research. They do it is done. Epidemiologists do do these kinds of things in like giant prospective cohort studies. Um, But for the most part, the volume of literature that's out there is really looking retrospectively. So it's really hard to show um, true causation that way. It is true on the whole, however, that French people live longer than Americans. So what does this have to do with my reading life? So I, I promised you I'd bring it back. So this curiosity of mine that I learned sort of through the public health lens has led me to start a journey of um, kind of becoming sort of a Francophile. It began in about 2012, I think, where I started reading some books and learning more about the French culture and the French philosophy of eating. The first book that I read was called French Kids Eat Everything by Karen Lebillon. I think is how you say her name. (laughs) Um, This book was a book about a North American family where the dad is French, the mom is North American, and they moved from Vancouver, BC to France to be closer to the French relatives on the dad's side. Um, But it's written from the mom's perspective as a complete outsider. So she shares in the book her struggles to sort of fit into the French culture and make friends um, as at the same time sharing her struggle to get kids to eat things that aren't just sort of plain white carbs like rice and bread and that kind of a thing. I think a lot of parents, I'm not a parent myself, but I think a lot of parents can understand that um, picky eater syndrome that kids tend to have. And I think it was magnified for her because she was here where she was living in France and their cousins and everybody else, the kids were just eating whatever was put on their plate, but their kids would turn up their noses at it. And so she's like, what am I doing wrong? Or what? how can I adopt their habits to 
make her kids be more um, to be better eaters. Another book in the same vein that I read a few years later was Bringing Up Bebe by Pamela Druckerman. So this, again, another non-French family moves to France. So this time it's an American mom and a British dad. They have a baby. um, And again, they have the same struggles of trying to make friends in France um, with French people. And she kind of overviews her experience being pregnant and the difference in the way that physicians um, the like the medical perspective of pregnancy there versus here and then she outlines the differences in raising children in France um, versus the way she was raised in America it just has a very different French people tend to have a very different view of the role of a parent um, than we do here in the United States the third book on this little journey of mine to find out what it was about the French culture that is so unique was French Women Don't Get Fat by Mireille Giuliano. (laughs) I think that's how you say her name, Um, which is written from a French woman's perspective who um, this time she has actually moved from France to New York. So um, she's and married an American, I believe. So she's kind of taking her perspective on the philosophy of French eating and what makes her country so healthy. This one I have more reservations about. I didn't do, like there's a big fast at the beginning that she tells you to do, and I have never done that. I've always thought it'd be interesting to just eat like a really weak vegetable soup or like leeks for like two days to try to reset your body. Um, I don't know if I would recommend that, but I do think, and into the book, she has some good recipes. There's this um, salad that's like a tomato and goat cheese salad that was really good. I tried it out. So I do recommend just the recipes um, and, and some of her philosophy is good. So as with all self-help type books, I find that there's always going to be criticism of their approach and their approach is probably not going to work 100% for myself or for you, for each individual person. So what I do is I like to read these type of books occasionally and what I do is t- take what makes sense to me and fits within my own value system and then try to adapt the recommendations to that and then just kind of leave the rest if it doesn't fit I don't I don't incorporate it but I do think it maybe expands my mind into thinking of ways something maybe a little bit different than I had thought before um it's just a kind of a new way of looking at the same problem and maybe I'll learn something from it so that's the approach that I take so each of these books um boil their messages down to a few key rules or principles and just kind of a general sense Here's what I have taken away from it over the the years that I've been sort of looking at this and interested in it. First of all, um, according to these books, French people find pleasure in food and they eat intentionally. So they're eating slowly. They're with other people when they eat. Um, The ambiance matters. They're not eating by themselves in their car or at their desk or while they're on the move. When it's time to eat, it's also time to take a break. And this translates to school lunches as well. So I found it fascinating in several of the books, they talk about um, the the cafeteria at school, they take like a full meal and they have real cutlery and the French kids are actually learning table manners at the same time while they're eating, getting the nutrition they need. And it's not like this, you know, quickly in 15 minutes, eat your sandwich. So you have another 10 minutes to do recess. Um, so you can be back into this, into class in 25 minutes. Um, it's, it's very um, intentional again. Um, also, there seems to be less placing emotions on food. So 
eating for the pleasure of eating um, and or enjoying it while you're you're eating it. So if you eat, if you have a treat, like enjoy that flavor and enjoy it and don't feel guilty about it and try not to associate um, emotions with food and, and sort of separate those two things. The eating is is important and is a valuable, pleasurable experience, um, but not to put emotions on it. There's a big emphasis for eating foods that are in season when they're the freshest and most flavorful. And again, that kind of idea of just really taking pleasure in the food. When you're eating an apple, enjoy the appleiness of it. Enjoy um, really thinking about that as you're eating it and um, only eating the best food that you can find. I think it's really important to note that these rules um, really apply to folks who are food secure, who have access to these types of foods. Some of the books did mention that France's food supply system is just generally better and poor people do have access to better types of food than poor people in the United States do. But I still think it's important to note that the ability to sit down and have lunch and the ability to do all these things is dependent on your ability to be food secure and to have economic security as well. They tend to eat three square meals per day with no snacking. So the exception is sort of a tea time or after school snack that they say is typically for kids around 430 or so, but um, they don't snack during the day, which I think is very interesting because I feel like a lot of conventional um, diet and weight loss folks these days will tell you to continue eating throughout the day. And I understand that's supposed to keep your metabolism going sort of throughout the day, but in France, they don't do that. So I'm not saying one is better than the other, but I just thought it was very interesting that they eat breakfast and then lunch and then they wait and have dinner. And their idea is that you should feel hungry before you eat again so that you are listening to your body. Again, they eat slowly. They eat in courses, generally speaking, so that slows down the meal um, and, and it makes it more maybe more interactive. And those courses are usually served in small portions. So you're not sort of putting the pizza out in front of everybody and then everyone just eats and eats, eats until it's gone. It's very intentional. Um, it seems to me that they eat dessert at most every meal, but sometimes dessert is um, not exactly what we think of it or what I think of it in the United States where it's ice cream or cake. Um, sometimes that dessert can be a piece of fruit. And that's your sweet, um, your sweet ender to the meal. They will say, and and several of the books that I read said that the idea of having a sweet or something fatty at the end, so either you end with like fruit or cheese or maybe a combination of both, that helps you at the end of a meal to feel satiated. Another thing that they talk about is keeping fruits and vegetables as the main characters in meals. So this is like, you know, a lot of times um, you might be having, you know, steak or meatloaf as your main thing and then on the side there might be corn or mashed potatoes or green beans or something Um, but in French eating in their recipes at least for one of the courses or two of the courses the main character is a really fresh fruit or vegetable. Um, The next point is something that the Frenchmen don't get fat really emphasized is that especially in places like Paris and other and other places that are more urban, there is just a lot of walking and incidental exercise. So, and I, this is something that I've really taken to heart 
um, even before I got into my little Francophile phase. Um, but if I'm going to the store or the library um, and I can walk, if it's like we have a grocery store here that's like literally a seven minute walk from my house. And most of the time I drive there, but I'm trying to think, okay, like if it's just for one or two things, I really should just get out and walk. It'd be better for me. I would reap the benefits of stress relief from the walk and the exercise. And I would also not be using my car and spending the gas on that um, and pollution that's involved. So if you can walk to the store or the library or someplace that you go to regularly instead of drive, I think it's more fun anyway. So getting your incidental exercise um, so that you're not being sedentary. As for the parenting aspects, I have no personal experience with this, but the general sense I got is that French people tend to view their children as independent and see themselves and their lives as independent from their children and their children's lives. So they just take a really hands-off approach and let kids figure things out by themselves while maintaining really strict and hard boundaries. Um, so that's kind of just the general gist. They also introduce new foods to children at younger ages um they're not so much um they're really it sounds like they're really intentional in the way they introduce food to their kids so when i first read these books and as i was kind of learning more i was trying to incorporate a lot of these principles into my habit i've definitely backslid a lot um, i usually eat lunch at my desk for example um, but it is something that i try to do when I have the time is to enjoy my food and make it part of the experience, not just something that you have to do to get the calories in, but really um, making a meal an experience. And so I think it's just really worth thinking about that. So anyway, that's my perspective on French food culture. And I have tried to incorporate some of those things into my life. Um, what about you guys? Have you read any of these books? What did you have any thoughts on the French food culture? Um, you can reach out to me on Instagram at infinitely prefer a book. I want to switch gears a little bit and tell you about the way that my Francophile leanings have affected my reading as um, my reading life and my fiction choices. So as many of you know, October's book is Still Life by Louise Penny. So that's going to be airing in just this week um, on the 18th. And it is set in Quebec, Canada, and I see some of the same food behaviors that are typically found in French culture in these books as well. So that was kind of a fun little piece to kind of pick up. I have also enjoyed reading romance books that are set in France. And there's a specific author. Her name is Laura Florand, F-L-O-R-A-N-D. She's an American married to a Frenchman. And... P.S. here, I think we're going to have to have a steaminess scale where I talk about um, when I talk about romance books because I am a full spectrum romance reader. So I would say a 10 is like 50 shades, 50 shades of gray and one is Pride and Prejudice. And, you know, Sense and Sensibility may have to be like a two because Willoughby does examine Marianne's ankle. Um, just putting that out there. So the books that I'm referring to are probably a seven or an eight in the steaminess scale. So... These books typically feature at least one of the protagonists as a chef and the other um, is often an American, kind of mirroring her own relationship with her husband, I think. Some of the books, I will say all of the books are around food and a lot of the books are around desserts. So the first book that I read was by her was The Chocolate Thief. And I actually bought 
the chocolate rose from Google Books and have it on my phone to read whenever I just need some lighthearted reading. Um, they're very fun and have interesting storylines. And the, the descriptions of food is really amazing. If you like chocolate and desserts, it's really interesting. Um, if you were wanting something a little less steamy, Florand did write a book called Blame It on Paris that is dressed up as a romance novel. I did find it in the fiction stacks, but it's not nearly as steamy and it reads more like a pseudo memoir. Um, I can't remember any really steamy scenes from it. So if there are any, they can definitely be skipped and they won't affect the storyline. And it was really cute if you want to read that. Some other French adjacent books that I have been reading in my fiction life are, um, if you're into a little more history, there are a couple books about France during World War II. One is Sarah's Key by Tatiana de Rounet and um, All the Light We Cannot See by Anthony Doerr. So um, really just interesting and kind of now that I have this background of how French culture and food is so important, I sometimes see it pop up into some of these books and it's really, really interesting. And um, if you'd like to learn more about French food and culture through an American perspective, I follow David Leibovitz's blog. He is married to a Frenchman and he has several cookbooks out. One of them is called My Paris My Paris Kitchen. I think he actually re-released an updated version of an ice cream book he put out called The Perfect Scoop, which just looks delicious. I love reading food blogs and just looking at the pictures and reading the recipes and kind of like imagining what the food tastes like. I don't always get out and make those recipes, but they look really yummy. I have made a couple of his recipes. Um, I made a carrot salad, which is a very classic French recipe. And I also made these spicy pretzel nut mix um, that was really interesting and very good. So I mostly check out his blog for just humor and kind of getting a peek at his French life, but I recommend that if you're interested. After reading the French Kids Eat Everything book, I did start a Pinterest board of foods or recipes that put vegetables in the foreground. Um, you can follow that board if you like. You can just search for by boards on Pinterest and um, just type in French Kids Eat Everything. The title of my board is called French Eating and then with French Kids Eat Everything in parentheses um, if you're interested in that one. Remember that on October 18th, I'm airing season one, episode two, my conversation about the book Still Life by Louise Penny with my friend Malin. There's still time to read the book before the episode airs. As always, catch me on Instagram at infinitely prefer a book.